right before we kick this one off, I was able to listen back to the podcast and realize that I used the old name for Lampropelma nigerimum arboricola. Yeah, that's a mouthful. And kept calling it the old name Lampropelma species Borneo black. So just know that this is a correction. The actual way to say it, the actual correct name is Lampropelma nigerimum arboricola. So heads up when we get into the actual podcast that I do call it the old name a couple times. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Tom Moran here from Tom's Big Spiders. To kick this one off, I've got a bit of a mystery illness with one of my tarantulas. And I've been waiting to talk about it only because I wanted to kind of see how it turned out. And this is one of the oddest things I've encountered while in the hobby. And it's funny because a lot of emails I've been getting lately have been emails from folks with mysterious tarantula deaths or mysterious tarantula illnesses. And what will happen is somebody will, you know, shoot me an email and be like, hey, Tom, I'm really worried about my, I don't know, Fauna palma calcotas. It's it's hanging out in the open much more. It's deserted its burrow. I've seen it lingering over the water dish. It seems to be lethargic, and sometimes it turns out to be typical pre-molt behavior. So one of the questions I'll usually ask is, all right, how how long you've had it for? How many spiders, other spiders, do you have? How long you've been in the hobby to kind of get a feel for if the person is familiar with pre-molt? Because a lot of times it blows people's minds. They're like they have no idea about it. Sometimes they know about pre-molt, but they didn't realize it lasts that long. They think it's this little thing like the tarantula stops eating and then a week later you get a molt. So we try to figure out what level they're at so we can kind of cut to the chase and figure out what's going on. So anyway, they become, we, we kind of jokingly call them my little case studies over here because it usually ends up with a lot of back and forth with, all right, let me, you know, show me a picture of the enclosure. What are you keeping in them? What are you using for cork bark? What does it have for a hide? How often do you water? Is the substrate moist? What are you using for substrate? And a lot of times, I got to be honest, I throw stuff out. Sometimes I'd say I'm probably batting, I'll give myself 60% of the time I can come up with something that might have caused the problem. I'd say the other 40% of the time we're left up in the air with, I'm sorry, I, I don't know what to tell you. And I feel badly because I think people really want answers. I love it because people are taking it to heart. The fact that sometimes deaths are preventable. They're not just going, oh, my spider died. Moving on. Let me get 10 more. They're spending the time to go through and try to figure out what might have happened. And as I've talked about many times in the podcast and even in my videos, that's something I do as well. I don't just assume a death is natural. I automatically assume it's something I did on my end. Sometimes I beat myself over it to a point where it's it, it's, it stinks because I'm like really upset over like what did I do wrong. I've never gotten to that point as a keeper that my confidence level is high enough to go, well, you know what? I obviously know what I'm doing. So that was on them, not me. I, I can't get to that point. So I do love that people are reaching out. I just feel badly sometimes when I can't help them. So it's sometimes I just want to throw that out there for people because a lot of times I get, I'm sorry, you know, I, I hate to ask you and you're probably going to laugh at me or this is a stupid question. No, it's not because I do the same thing with mine. So what we're going to talk about today starting off is my Lampropelma species Borneo Black. I picked it up about two years ago. I forgot to put that down in the notes. And what is a little sling, kept it in a little, one of those little Amac box containers for a little while, moved it up to, I believe, a 16-ounce deli cup, because now grew that one very, very quickly. It was kind of a quick rehousing. Stayed in the deli cup for a little while, then we moved it into one of the one-gallon mainstay containers. Now, again, the Lampropelma species are such that they like to do a lot of burrowing as slings and as juveniles and young adults. So when I set them up, I put it in the technically what I normally use for an arboreal setup, but there was a lot of substrate in there. It burrowed right down to the bottom. And then for the better portion of a year, if not longer, I rarely saw it. This was one of the spiders that even when I was down in the morning, 
I, I would flick on the lights, and if I was fortunate, I might see you know a pair of legs hanging out the top of its burrow. More often than not, I didn't see it at all for a long time. So one of the things I've spoken of with keeping fossorial species, and those of you that have kept them, especially raised them from slings, can probably attest to this, you sometimes get surprised with how quickly they've grown. So I've told the story before about my H. gigas. I had those guys. I picked them with little teeny tiny slings, put them in the typical 32-ounce deli cups, and did not see them at all. Like you'd be, it'd be one of those ones you hold up to the light and you have a flashlight underneath it and you're looking for any trace of movement of them because you're starting to freak out that they something died or whatever. But the, I'd drop prey items in, the prey items would disappear. Anyway, I finally popped in one day. I took the top off the enclosure before I even like bothered to look at it because they're always down in their den. And there was like this three and a half inch spider sitting on top of the substrate. Scared the heck out. I really, it was. Honestly, I'm, I'm lucky it didn't, you know, end up in a, a bad situation because I just popped it off. Didn't even think the thing would be out. It was up top. I'm like, oh, my Lord, this needs a rehousing. So it sometimes happens with the fossorial species that you don't realize that they need to be rehoused until they've probably it's been a little while. So anyway, back to my Lamprepelma species, Borneo Black. It, it, the other morning, it was about probably end of October or so I came down and I glanced, I happened to glance up at the the enclosure and I noticed it was sitting right out in the top I'm like ooh, there it is and it was big and not like I wouldn't say it was over the top large compared to the enclosure but it definitely needed a rehousing and one of the things and I've addressed this before in the past is I've been trying to change enclosures and clean enclosures and rehouse more often for my fossorial species because I have a legitimate concern and the more people I talk to about this the more I feel like I'm on the right track with it with bacteria forming in those burrows although they seem safe and you know we talk about the fact that tarantulas are very clean and they are and they'll bring boluses out and they'll drag things out the bacteria that can form in those burrows I believe can be very hazardous to them which is why we get see a lot of you know odd fossorial deaths and I've heard from other people too they're like I've had it in this container it's been here for like two years I clean out the boluses, I give it fresh water, I moisten it, but the problem is we've got a stagnant container of dirt that we keep pouring water into, and you got to figure if they're bringing prey items down there, there are little pieces of those prey items dropping down, they're probably decomposing, attracting bacteria, and after a while, I'm guessing that builds up, it probably changes the acidity of the soil, the, the composition of the soil, I think there's a lot of things that can go wrong, so I've been trying to change them more often, and in this case, it had been in that container for quite some time, I pour water in, I change the water bowl, but it hadn't been clean. So it, it needed a cleaning. So anyway, I see it up top and I'm like, this is awesome. I go to take the thing down and it didn't immediately rush to its burrow, which was like, ooh, that's kind of odd. It looked in good shape though. And so I didn't think much of it. And finally it kind of crawled back to its burrow and disappeared. Great. Next morning I come down, it's out again. Again, kind of odd. So I pull it down, check out again. It ended up running away again. So fast forward a little bit, maybe a month later, it was about maybe mid-November or so. I caught it out a couple more times. I tried to feed it, and I found the prey item up top. It hadn't eaten the prey item. So what what I decided to do is, like, we're trying to figure out what we're going to put it into. I didn't know if it was sometimes those species, you put them in the arboreal setups too early, and they kind of freak out because they, they don't have that place to hide. So I was trying to figure out which enclosure to put in. It was on our rehouse list. I go into the room. It was, I think, right before Thanksgiving, a little, no, a little maybe a week before Thanksgiving. I go into the room, and it's sitting on top. And I don't know why, but and people can probably back me. Every once in a while, you look at something, and you go, something's not right. So I pull the cage down. 
and it looks terrible. It's not in a death curl, not in a death curl at all. But I will say one thing that alarmed me right off the bat is some of the sphagnum moss, although I check the water dishes all the time, some of the sphagnum moss had found its way into the water dish and had wicked all the water out. So the water dish was just about empty, not completely empty, but the bottom substrate was moist. And before that, I refilled the thing like three days before that. So it hadn't gone without water that long. But you start thinking, could this be dehydration? It was not in a death curl. It did not look like it was dehydrated, what you'd normally expect to see a spider look like when they're dehydrated. Its abdomen was quite plump and firm. It just looked completely, I don't even want to use the word lethargic. It was like sluggish. It barely moved. So it was immediate. I believe this was like nighttime, which was the other thing that alarmed me because usually I only caught it out in the morning. So we immediately pulled out. Billy's like, oh, what's up? And I'm like, there's something wrong with this thing. It's, this is not good. I, I took a paintbrush in and just kind of stroked his back leg. It twitched its leg. It barely moved. It was in rough shape. So we're like, she's over there with me. She's like, do you think it was dehydrated? I'm like, well, there's still some water in the water dish. I just watered him. It was, this was probably a Wednesday. I had done it on a Sunday. I'm like, I don't think that's it. Although who knows? So we had a decision to make. Number one, I decided I was going to take it out of that enclosure. It was because when a, when a fossorial comes up and is staying outside of its den, that's abnormal behavior. That's usually a sign something's up. I saw it before years ago with one of my C. lividus she was doing great. She was in, and this one I never did figure out what exactly happened. She had molted recently. She was eating great. She molted. She dragged her molt out. I fed her twice. I came in one day and found her sitting on the surface. Thought it was odd. She kind of went back to her den, found her next day on the surface. Next day, she was dead. It blew my mind. I kept, To this date, I couldn't figure out what was going on, and I don't think it was a bacterial situation because her enclosure had just been changed probably four months prior. It was that she had been rehoused, she had dug, she had eaten, she had molted, all the signs that she had settled in nicely and died. So ever since then, I've noticed that, you know, I tend to freak out when I catch the fossorials hanging up top. So there was obviously a problem with there. She needed a rehousing anyway, but I didn't want to drop a sick spider into a new house, and especially when I went to move her and realized how lifeless she was. This spider was barely moving. It was really heartbreaking to see. So what we did was I set up one of those quote-unquote tarantula ICUs, which I have a love-hate relationship with. I kind of have mixed feelings about them. A lot of people are like, it, it's it's basically a keeper's way of feeling like they're doing something. And I think under most circumstances, it really does nothing. And I know there'll probably be people that'll jump in and argue against me, but hear me out. I think in a situation where a tarantula is dehydrated, and I did have one years ago where because of my own stupidity, a tarantula did not have the water it needed and I pulled it out put in ICU it drank and it was perfectly fine I think in those instances it does help because it's a quick way to get them rehydrated but I think a lot of times it's like all right my tarantula is sick my tarantula is not feeling well let's drop it in a really moist you know damp hot environment and that'll make it better and I, I just don't think the science adds up for it but some people swear by them I have used them before and in this instance as I will explain whether it was the ICU or not I, we did it did seem to help but we pulled her out I put her in an older container older plastic container one deeper one with some moist paper towels on the bottom a water dish I picked her up she literally just flopped off of like I, put, I got her on a piece of cardboard and she just kind of flopped right off the cardboard onto the onto the paper towel I put her over the water dish it looked like she might have been drinking but then later on she was just sitting on the water dish because she couldn't move so I pulled her off the water dish made sure her abdomen was not in a spot where it, there was a lot of water or on the paper towels because obviously the book lungs are there if she can't keep her abdomen up that could be problematic and then just put her on the high shelf that usually gets like 82, 84 degrees. It's one of the warmer shelves. 
and waited to see what happened. So this was mid-November or so. Now, I checked on her every couple of days, close to every day. I didn't want to disturb her completely. And she started to show a little more life. So I'm like, all right, maybe it was dehydration. And then I did notice one day I came in, and this is one of the things that adds a little bit to the mystery, she pooed, and it looked like a lot of poo. Now I start thinking, all right, was this one of those cases of impaction? Was there something blocking her? I did not see. I mean, she was hanging around the water dish. She was obviously lethargic. That would fall in line with uh, an impaction, but there was nothing around her spinnerets, nothing around the anus, nothing that caked on that looked like there might have been a blockage, but who knows? There might have been something inside. Her abdomen was quite plump. She did look like she could be in primal. So I kept fresh water in there. I replaced the paper towels every week or so so they wouldn't get stagnant. Again, she pooped again, which started making me think maybe this was an impaction thing. However, her overall behavior did not get better. She was moving a little bit more, but it was heartbreaking to watch because she would go to lift the leg. Like if you touched her with a paintbrush, her leg would tremble, like really, really tremble, shaking, almost spasmodic, not a DKS type situation. I want to make that very clear because I've seen DKS and I've seen, you know, I've experienced it in my own. I've seen other people's DKS where it looks like there's some type of neurological problems. It was different than that. And so she would move around. And the good thing, the thing that was giving me hope is I would check on her at night before I went to bed and she'd be like in one corner. I'd get up in the morning, she'd be in the other corner. So she was moving around. But when I take the top off and check on her, she would scrunch all up in the stress pose. And when she tried to move, it was just like, it was bad. It was really bad. And I started thinking about euthanasia at this point because she wasn't getting better. Fast forward three weeks down the road, her abdomen was visibly smaller. Now, could that have been, this is something I started thinking about afterwards, from all the poo being evacuated. Because if it was something to do with an impaction and somehow if that environment loosened it up and allowed her to to go to the bathroom that could have been it but un- unfortunately she didn't appear to be getting any stronger so christmas comes and goes she's looking terrible and i'm starting to feel like a terrible keeper because i'm thinking all right you know what i'm keeping her it's kind of like people when their dogs are obviously very 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 ill and it's time to kind of let them go and they don't want to, and they keep them around even though the dog's probably suffering. I was starting to feel like I was doing that with the spider because I really wanted to see it pull through. I, I just, it bothered me that all of a sudden this happened, and I couldn't help but blame myself because this is what's also in the back of my mind. That probably should have been rehoused earlier. It's probably one where I it, there could have been bacteria in there, and I start thinking toward the bacterial route. Like, was that the situation? Is Did it get some type of bacterial infection? Is that what I'm seeing here? Why it's lingering on so long? So... Finally, it's New Year's. I go to check on her. She isn't moving at all. She's like, uh, I, I figure that her time's up. And I almost put her, uh, we, we do the freezer for the euthanasia. I'm looking into the, I believe you can use CO2 or another type of gas to do it. But the, I've heard from many people, the freezer, they just, they don't register temperatures the way we do. It's not, we do. It's not like, oh my God, it's freezing. They just kind of go to sleep. So we're thinking about doing it and I got distracted. Something went on and didn't end up doing it. The next day I go check in and she's standing on the side of the enclosure. I'm like, okay, that's kind of odd. That shows some more strength. But I go in there. She's still trembling, still not looking good. So finally, I know this is a long story, but I feel like, you know, it's one of those ones that I'm trying, still trying to in my head piece what's going on. And I'm almost, I was almost afraid to address this because I told Billy, I feel like I'm jinxing what, I'm, I'm jinxing the good luck I seem to have had with it. Obviously, this is hinting toward the ending, a little spoiler alert, but So finally, I come down on Monday of this week and check on her, and she's standing right in the right on the side of the enclosure. And when I take the cage down, usually she just kind of flopped down on the ground. She kind of scuttled away quickly, and I'm like, "Ooh, 
wait a minute, that's a definite improvement. So I open up, her abdomen is terribly, terribly small. She had been drinking. I had caught her drinking before. So she was drinking, so it wasn't that she was dehydrated. It didn't look, you know, it just looked like a spider that hadn't eaten and wasn't doing well. So I decided, you know what, let's try feeding her. I, I don't know what made me think this, because a lot of times when you have a sick spider, you don't try to harass them by putting a prey item in there. But I'm like, yeah, let me drop something in for her. So I go in, I grab a cricket, I crush its head so it's kind of maimed, so it's not, you know, running all around because I figured she's too weak to hunt. And I kind of drop it in the cage in front of her and I put the cap back on, put it back on the shelf, go brush my teeth, get ready for work, come back in the room, she's eating it. And I was stunned. Like, I really wasn't expecting her to eat. It was just kind of a let's try this out just in case so I can feel better that she's not starving to death. And no, she was literally poised right there, hunched up on her tiptoes, eating it. She looked a little weak. She looked a little... Like, it, it didn't look like a healthy eating position, if, if that makes any sense, but she was definitely eating. And I'm like, whoa, this is huge. So I get home from work, and I dropped, it, I dropped in a very small cricket with her. So I dropped in another one, immediately ate it. So she's eaten another time since then. I gave her a much bigger cricket. She actually ate it while gripping to the side of the enclosure. So that obviously takes some strength there. She's hanging off the side of the enclosure, and she ate it. And has been moving much better. She's moving like more like a normal spider. I took basically, and I'm going to do a video of this too today to do an update to talk about it a little bit on my channel because I like to share stuff like this because A, it shows I don't have all the answers. And I think that's really important because I think sometimes people get disappointed when they come to me and I don't, I won't tell you something if I don't know it. I'll say flat out, I don't know. I'll try, I'll throw things out there. But I think it's good for people to see that I go through this in my own collection. I question myself. I go through my own husbandry techniques. I try to figure out what I could do better. And this is a situation that's been, I've been racking my brain over. And in some instances, not sure if I'm doing the right thing because am I keeping the spider alive from my own selfishness it, it could have just languished and, and, and died and, and wasted away and that would have made me feel bad but it did turn out well so you know we're going to talk about it. so anyway came home two days ago we took her out of the enclosure I cupped her she was climbing up the cup she skilled right up the side of the cup just like she would have if she was you know in good shape so that was a good sign to see I took out I did not put her back into a new permanent enclosure because I do want to continue to monitor I would like to ideally keep her so I can monitor her until she molts out once because I don't want to get put a situation where I put her in a new enclosure she builds a new burrow she does all this stuff and then get sick again I want to be able to keep an eye on her so she, I put her back in the same enclosure but I did add a few inches of moist substrate in there I added a hide I added some moss and again this species tends to be a little more fossorial during this time in the life so she's adapted to the burrow I did drop in a cricket this morning before I did the podcast to see what happened and she immediately snatched it up and started eating so all signs knock on wood because I've had instances where things have turned around and thought they were going to pull through and they didn't and I was left kind of even more disappointed than if they had just passed away at the first you know the onset of illness but she's looking good she's looking like she's going to pull through this so now the question is what the heck was wrong with her I'm thinking the two things I'm thinking of and obviously I've already mentioned it in this podcast one would be impaction which I I, I think we're now that People know it can be a thing. I'm hearing more and more cases of it and more instances where it, it seems blatantly obvious that was what was the problem was. I think sometimes people will go on. That's why I hesitate to post things up about ill tarantulas because sometimes people will go and they'll watch my impaction video and just decide the spider that's been a little lethargic that might be in pre is impacted and start diddling it with a paintbrush and some water trying to get it to poop. 
And I feel terrible for the poor tarantula that's probably like, dude, I just need to molt. What are you doing? And we, I and I share this on a personal experience because somebody said they thought their spider was fat, it was lethargic, it hadn't seen any poop. And the problem is those of us who keep them, a lot of times you don't see any poop. And he basically caught it and wiped his butt with a, there's no way to say this without sounding terrible, wiped his butt with a paintbrush with some warm water to try to get it to poop. It didn't poop, he did it again, and then he came in one morning and it had molted. So that poor spider for you know all the effort it took the molt also got harassed with the paintbrush in the butt so I hesitate sometimes to put these things up because you need to you don't always jump to immediate conclusions because a lot of these things like if you look at the symptoms of an impaction they look very similar to a, the symptoms of a bacterial infection or what we believe now are bacterial infections and that needs to be stated because they're two very different things if I have a viral infection that's a lot different than if I'm constipated and you're going to treat them one would hope totally different ways. This one's gotten silly. So anyway, uh, I'm throwing it out there that one of the thoughts was, and I have the paper towels, and unfortunately I threw them away. I should have kept the older paper towels because the first set of paper towels, there was yellow poo spots all over it. It looked like it had pooed all over the place, which leads me to believe that it was backed up and somehow that loosened it up. It was able to evacuate its bowels normally, and then it started to improve after that. It did take quite a while, though, because that was when I first put it in. That was, you know, close to a month and a half ago. The other thought, and I think this one's, I'm leaning more toward this with some type of bacterial infection. And usually when they get the bacterial infections, the signs of them are, again, a lot like the impaction. They're going to be, the it usually happens more with fossorial species because I think they're more in contact with that probably bacteria-ridden soil, whatever. It's, it, it, you after keeping something in a small hole and repeatedly adding water and having prey items and biological waste fall down in there, you've got to figure it's going to do something to the soil. So it's usually the fossorial species that come wandering out. They're hanging around water dishes. They're acting funny. They're lethargic. That's usually when you detect that people think that it's probably type of a bacterial infection. And that's kind of what I'm leaning toward because it seemed more like that behavior but I don't know. And that's the part that drives me nuts. And that's one of the, you know, if we talk about, obviously we talk about tarantulas all the time. That's what the whole podcast is about. But my biggest issue with the hobby is the fact we really don't know a lot about them medically. I do have, the cool thing is I've been contacted over the years by a lot of veterinarians, veterinary assistants who are at practices where they are trying to learn more about medicine and have experimented with some things to help them. That's awesome because I will tell you, my vet is fantastic with the dogs, but I once mentioned the tarantula thing and he kind of looked at me like it was nuts. So we that's not really an option for us. And I think for some, they just don't know how to treat them, so they're not even going to try, and that's good. At least they're not. I've heard situations with them trying some weird stuff with them, and it's like, eesh, that's not going to work. So when our tarantulas get sick, unfortunately, there isn't a lot we can do. We're left feeling helpless. It's not like a dog that can go and get diagnosed or, you know, any fuzzy animal for the most part, they can probably give you a, a general idea of what's going on. We don't know what's going on with them. So with the bacterial infection, if that's what it was, this will probably be the first time I've seen one pull through it, which has been very fascinating for me. I'd love to say it's something I did. I'd love to go, hey guys, look at the ICUs work great. It saved my tarantula. I don't really think it was that. I don't know though. It, it could have been dehydration. I don't know. Perhaps maybe it didn't go out and maybe it got dehydrated and didn't go out and find the water dish. I don't know, but that's, 
I mean, this is one of these good news, bad news. Good news is the spider looks like it's on the mend. For those of you that want to see it, I will be hopefully doing it. You probably won't be able to see it because I'm guessing it's probably going to retreat to its burrow, but I'm going to do a little thing about it on YouTube because I would like to get this one around. And again, part of it is maybe somebody else has experienced something similar and that's where our knowledge comes from. When I post something up like this and somebody comes up and goes, I had the exact same thing happen and this is what I did, mine pulled through, then we can kind of start figuring out how to deal with it in the future or what it may be. So I will be throwing something up and hopefully people, you know, will will chime in that have experienced the same thing and we can get a little, you know, collective knowledge base going there where we all kind of talk about what we have. So hopefully knock on the other thing I'm worried about is last time I did an update on one of my tarantulas that seemed to be pulling through, she passed away like two weeks later and I was devastated. That was the H. chilensis one that had the bad molt. I believe it was a much older female and had the bad molt. She was coming around. She was eating well. I'm like, you're going to pull through, girl. We got the the extra skin off of her and I came in there and she was dead and that one like I felt like I jinxed it so hopefully it doesn't happen in this situation if it does I will obviously keep people updated because that's an important piece of it if for people that ever experience this to know that they may seem to come around but then they end up taking a downturn that's something I'll share but that's the information I have for this one normally it's people emailing their case studies to me I'm putting this one out there for my podcast listeners to discuss and obviously I'll be monitoring the Facebook comments, and maybe we can get a little dialogue going there. But anyway, that is the story of my Lampropelma species, Borneo Black. It's been a month and a half now. She has turned around, and fingers crossed she continues to be on the mend. I will not consider her completely healed and and well until she A, molts, and then B, eats a couple times after the molt. At that point, I think I'll be ready to go, hey, this was a success story. However, it has turned around. It has given me hope. She is looking better. I'm feeling so much better about it. It stresses me out to no end when one of my tarantulas are sick. For those of you who have contacted me with questions about your sick tarantulas and, and you're like apologizing because you're upset or you're worrying too much, I do the exact same thing. Do not apologize. I totally 100% empathize and get it. So never think when you contact me, I'm over here going, oh, for crying out loud, it's a spider. Just stop worrying about it. I do the exact same thing. I wake up in the middle of the night, racking my brain over what may be causing it. It's, it I think it's a natural thing to do if you actually respect and love your animals. So moving on to the next one, I'm going to click over to my email for a minute. And I was thinking of doing this one as a longer one, but I don't think it really needs it. But it is something I wanted to talk about and kind of leads into something I was already working on. So this one comes from Joe Carpenter. He emailed me. I was wondering if you had any thoughts on tarantulas and entertainment. I know you talk about public perception at length. I wondered if you had opinions on how TV and movies showcase teas. Home Alone famously features a tarantula, Fonapelma simani, roaming around throughout the movie. The show Impractical Jokers also uses teas as a punishment to annoy one of the cast members. And recently, Billie Eilish did an episode of Carpool Karaoke and handles her tea, GBB, it is. Here is a link to the video. The spider shows up around the 10.30 mark. Probably didn't have to read that, but I'm kind of on autopilot here. I would love to hear your input. Maybe it could even be a segment of the podcast. Well, Joe, yes, it can be a segment of the podcast. This was an excellent one and happened to fall in line with something I was already working on. I There's a magazine called Shock Totem. It's a horror fiction magazine with uh, articles and stuff that had been around for a while. They're bringing it back, and I'm working on it as an editor, a little background. I used to work in publishing and stuff like that. I love horror. I love anything horror. And this is a fantastic magazine. So I was working on an article for it. I, I have a different article that I did that'll be in the next issue that has nothing to do. It's about found footage movies, nothing to do with the tarantulas. But the original article I wanted to do, and it became a bit unwieldy, was how tarantulas are portrayed in horror movies. And I wanted to put a slant on it to show that we're basically villainizing animals 
to scare people for for cheap chills, basically. And it was getting difficult because I know why they put tarantulas in horror movies. It's it's because there's, I think it's one of the top fears in the world as far as phobias with snakes and clowns and things of that nature. So uh, if you're trying to get, you know, a cheap scare, you talk about jump scares being cheap scares in horror movies. Another cheap scare is, oh, let's just throw a tarantula in there in a ridiculous situation because although the scene may not be scary, although the direction may not be good, although the acting may be terrible, people are immediately, immediately going to go, oh my God, it's a spider and be freaked out. So it's like an easy way to scare people. So let's start by talking about the movie one first. And that one, I think I've, I've pretty clear idea about how I feel about it. The other ones, we're gonna, it, it, that's going to get a little more iffy. So full disclosure, I am an absolute huge horror movie fan. I don't, I think that's probably come out before, but I don't think people realize the lengths that I watch everything. I like the lowbrow ones. I like the highbrow ones. There's a movie out called The Lighthouse right now that I've watched six times already, even though some of my friends think it's the worst thing they've ever seen in their life. I, I love horror stuff and I've been watching horror stuff since I was like four years old. I, my mom, I can remember being a kid and my mom would fall asleep on the couch with Creature Feature going and I was supposed to be taking a nap and I would wake up and watch all these old movies and just be terrified. And I remember particularly the ones that always had spiders in them. I remember the movie Tarantula being one that I just thought that was the most horrific thing I had ever seen in my entire life with this giant skyscraper-sized tarantula going across the countryside attacking people. It just blew my mind that something like that could even possibly be, you know, it was just like the stuff of nightmares. So, obviously, in movies, and we'll take Home Alone, we're going to set that one aside for a moment. Uh, in horror movies, they've been used, as I said before, as cheap scare for years. If it, There was obviously the 70s, 60s and 70s, a lot of movies where you got, you know, Tarantula, which, by the way, a little trivia, has Clint Eastwood unbilled as a fighter pilot in it. You can't see his face, but supposedly he's the fighter pilot in it, one of his first roles, if not his first. You have, like, Tarantula's Deadly Cargo, and then in more recent times, you had Arachnophobia that wasn't so much Tarantulas, it was Spiders, but then you had that i know people like this movie but i just between the terrible cgi and the fact that the stuff about the spiders was ridiculous eight-legged freaks i i've watched it a couple times i it's entertaining but for all the wrong reasons but some people absolutely love it but that's one that gives people you know the wrong information about it it's funny the movie tarantula i watched recently and there's a scene where a scientist is talking about spiders and some of his information is actually spot on which blew my mind for that time period but in the movies, I have a huge issue, especially with horror movies, with how they always use the arachnids, and we'll throw scorpions in there as well, for the cheap scares. Everybody's afraid of, well, a lot of people are afraid of arachnids and scorpions, and snakes get used quite a bit. So it's a cheap way of, if I've got a movie going, and, and I love the way it's used, is it's always species that have no right being where they are. Small American town, scary movies playing, they go up the stairs, and oh, there's a bee smithy on the floor. Like, I never understood that. They just throw stuff out there or my favorite we watched one the other day where the person was getting attacked by two incredible I believe they described it as incredibly lethal scorpions and it was two emperor scorpions which if anybody knows anything about that species they are completely harmless they'll pinch you rather than bite you rather than sting you and their sting isn't that bad so obviously I don't I will we're going to roll up all the movies together there is one I can't remember the name of it, where the woman is controlling the tarantulas or something, and she actually loves them. 
and I can't think of the name of it right now. Uh, I think it's it might be Kiss of the Tarantulas. There's an older one where the woman actually cares about him. I remember seeing that one as a kid, and actually that changed my mind a little bit. I felt bad for them when one of them would get killed because this woman obviously liked them. So I would love to see more stuff like that, but I think in movies, and horror movies especially, it's it's they've never been portrayed correctly. They're always, and, and again, this is my favorite genre of movie. It's my favorite genre of literature. I love horror stuff. That's one place where they're not treated correctly. They're not presented the right way. It's funny because Billy and I joked, we we haven't done the publishing thing for years. We used to do small press publishing. And like, if we ever got back into it, it'd be cool to do an anthology with spiders and tarantulas where they're not the bad guys. But then I looked at Billy, I'm like, who the heck's going to be able to write a story about that? I thought about it. I had some ideas of my own, but I'm like, that's going to be a tricky one because for years, they've been the things of nightmares. It's an easy fear to capitalize if you're trying to do something that you consider scary. So as far as horror movies concerned, and I'm not going to spend an incredibly amount of time on this because I think it's pretty apparent, they've they've been done an injustice by it. Even movies like um, Indiana Jones. It starts off with them going through the cave and there's the spider webs and Indy has tarantulas all over him. And then the other guy turns around and he's got tarantulas all over them, and it's used as like, oh, God, that's creepy scene. And later on, obviously, you got the snakes. There's a bunch of stuff in those movies. So it's not just horror movies. It's movies in general. Home Alone's an interesting one for me because I almost thought like the tarantula was its own, and, and people feel free to jump on and disagree with me, but I was still scared of spiders back then, but I was fascinated with tarantulas. And when I saw that movie, as scared as I was of tarantulas, the spider became like a character for me. It wasn't, it was almost treated in a fun way. It scares the guys. It isn't hurt. You know, they could have killed it in that scene where he hits him with a crowbar and it's on his chest. The tarantula gets away. The tarantula is away at the end. You know, it doesn't get killed. I thought that movie, obviously there's some scenes in there where it's handled roughly that I don't appreciate when they drop it on his chest and it's obviously just dropped on him and it falls on his back. That bothered me. Although apparently there was a trainer there for it, you know, controlling everything. But that was one of those few instances where I'm, I'm, I wouldn't be shocked if a lot of kids came out of that movie and went, not, hey, I was terrified by that tarantula, but mom, I want a tarantula now. That, I know that just encouraged me, and that was one of the points where I turned to my mom and went, look it, they're not that bad. It just runs around the whole movie. My mom wasn't having any of it. So movies like that where they can kind of become a character or they're not treated, obviously the two evil guys hated the tarantula, but the kid didn't hate the tarantula. Obviously, his brother didn't hate the tarantula. It was like his pet. So I do think in a situation like that, I'd like to see movies portray them more like that. You know, you always have movies, kids have dogs and a cat. Let's have some more movies where kids have tarantulas. And I'm sure some people can chime in. I'm trying to think of some some stuff because I know I've seen a couple recently where the kids had a pet tarantula. And of course, the first thing you do is basically critique their setup. I'm like, all right, the people who did this movie obviously don't know anything about them because that's the wrong setup. But it's cool to see them appear in a movie in a more favorable way with somebody, you know, keeping them and enjoying them and showing that they're not as scary as people think they are. So I would almost take Home Alone and put it into a category where this is what I'd like to see more of. I'd love to see more of them in the movies being portrayed like we see them, like not scary animals, but fascinating animals, cool animals. Home Alone, this little animal just keeps popping up everywhere and, you know, kind of saves the day at one point. They're about to catch him. Who saves the day? He drops a tarantula on the chest. They both freak out and he's able to get away. So that would be a situation where I'd say they were portrayed well. Now, the Impractical Jokers one, I love Impractical Jokers. I hadn't watched it in a little while, and we were actually watching a marathon of it the other day. And the show cracks me up, but I have to say, when they did the tarantula one at the end, that one bothered me a lot. And 
I get it. It's they're afraid of tarantulas. People, you know, watching the show are afraid of tarantulas when you're trying to do, you know, a final challenge for people or the the final punishment for losing. There's nothing better than taking somebody that's afraid of spiders and at least on paper and dropping a bunch of spiders on them. However, it just again, it it just turned them into something scary and to be feared. That was obviously not just to scare the person that was being tortured by them, but also to scare the audience. The way it's set up, people that are watching They're Afraid of Spiders are going to have a hard time watching that scene. I have a buddy of mine who knows I'm into tarantulas that watches that show, and she said it was very difficult, like that was freaking her out totally. I'm like, man, I'd be just laying there like, what the heck, I want to take these guys home. But that's me, and I'm sure a lot of you out there would probably feel the same way. I'm sure there's people out there right now that are listening that haven't completely gotten over their phobia yet that could watch that episode, and I would encourage, you know, look it up. So you can see what I'm talking about. I won't play by play the whole thing. But basically they tie him up on the ground. I believe they turn the lights out at some point and they start putting tarantulas on him. And my first thought watching it was, my God, if one of these tarantulas, you know, they're scared. So the tarantulas aren't in hunting mode, luckily, but these are, they're, they're cannibalistic animals. So my fear is always one of these is going to latch onto another one and eat it right on top of the poor guy. Um, and then, you know, it, it goes on from there. Then they bring in a big fake one. It, it just gets really kind of stupid. But again, things like that can perpetuate the idea that they're fear that they're to be feared, that they're scary, that they're nasty. It does nothing to improve it. And obviously the people that are doing that show probably aren't tarantula fans or aren't collectors, aren't people that enjoy the animals. However, in the back of my mind, like Billy and I were talking about this, she's like, well, what would happen if somebody for a TV show asked you to come on and take some of your tarantulas and do something like this? I'd be like, hell no, I'm not doing that. That's the, if we're going to do something where they're A, going to be in potential, you know, there's going to be a chance of risk. And B, it's gonna, they're going to be portrayed in a way that's going to perpetuate that idea that they're to be feared. I don't want anything to do with it. But obviously, whoever had these tarantulas keeps them, knows something about them. I'm guessing it's one of these Hollywood guys that does it just for movies and TV shows. I don't know. I don't know who the guy was. I actually didn't look at the credits. I probably should have looked that up. But that bothered me too because there's somebody that obviously knows something about these animals that's doing something that's negative toward them, that's it's portraying them in a negative way. So that one... Again, I had seen that one. That one bothered me. I wasn't laughing like I usually laugh at the end of them. Usually, I'm like when they do the final punishments, I'm laughing through the whole thing. I really wasn't laughing at this one. It was kind of, it, it bothered me a bit. And again, I recognize the fact that I'm one of a handful of people out there probably watching that show that love tarantulas and don't want to see them portrayed that way. And for the majority of people, that's that was an amazing, you know, punishment. But yeah, again, that's gonna that's just pr- basically playing into the fact that people already fear them. I get why they do it. It bothers me a lot. Now, the Billie Eilish thing. This one, I I have a I have a very difficult time with because I can see it from two different sides. Uh, if you've watched the clip, she brings him back to her home, and she tells him she has a pet tarantula, and she comes in cupping the tarantula. She walks all the way across. She has a cup. It's safe, I would say. But then she proceeds to put it on James Corden's hand, and he's professing to be terrified of him. I question how terrified he is because I will tell you that at my the height of my arachnophobia, if somebody had put a tarantula on my hand and it started to move, I would have probably passed out. But he, he stays there, and then she gets up and leaves the room and leaves it with it on his hand. Now, first off, the thing that blew my mind was it looks like it was an adult male, a mature male C. cyanopubicans or the GBB, which blew my mind because they are skittish as heck in my my experience. A lot of people also find them to be skittish. And she walked out, she carried this thing cupped in her hand, put it on his hand, and it, for a mature male, it just sat there. And it could have, but the problem is that could have shot up his arm. He says at one point, I don't want it on me because I'm afraid I'm going to flick my hand and throw it up in the air, which was great. 
but she leaves it there with him. That could have been the death of her pet. So it was an interesting thing because this is obviously Billie Eilish, who is incredibly popular now, uh, huge star, and she is just walking around with a tarantula, a young woman showing no fear of it whatsoever. She obviously loves it. She has it in her hand. It, she knows, you know, she handles it well. She sits on the bed at one point. That's a positive image to send. A lot of people are going to be like, oh, well, Billy's not afraid of them. Why should I be afraid of him? So I like that. There's part of me, it's like, all right, that's great. That's how we want to see them portrayed. Like, look, like it, it would be, the, it would have been the same thing if she brought out a gerbil or a rabbit or a ferret, it would have been done in the same manner. If you haven't seen the video, it's literally like, oh, here's my spider. But then there's the flip side of it. And this has been an argument for years, uh, whether or not, you know, handling tarantulas and showing people handling tarantulas is sending the right signal. And this is one because of where I came from being arachnophobe. I can see both sides of it. I lean toward one Actually, I bounce back and forth, and here's why. A, for the people that are against it, it sends a terrible message. Here's Billie Eilish picking up a spider that most of us would not, I would not try to pick up my GBBs. They would kick hairs. You know, there's no mention of what they can do. It wasn't like she said, hey, you probably shouldn't handle, you shouldn't handle over the bed. She didn't explain it. It was just, here's my spider, pass it over to a guy, leave it on him where it could scramble off, go up his head, he could flick it off, it could die. A million, a myriad of things could have happened to that spider and to him. Luckily, they didn't. So that's a terrible message to send. And I think when we do things like, I remember when I was a kid, somebody came to school with a bunch of pets and they were showing different animals off and they had a tarantula. And one of the things they did is one of the students volunteered, or it was, it was my friend Kelly, went up and walked around with the tarantula, probably a rose hair in her hands to show everybody. And at that time, two things happened. A, I saw my friend Kelly holding one and realized they weren't that bad, which was good. B, I kind of got it in my head that you're supposed to handle them, which was not the truth. So it sends a mixed message because I think in some ways seeing them handled is important to people that are scared of them. It helps take away some of the stigma. It helps take away some of the fear when they see somebody with it in their hands and nothing is going wrong. However, the flip side of the argument is you're teaching people that you're supposed to handle them and that puts you and the spider in jeopardy. So I, it, it's definitely a two-sided coin for me. I've shared before that one of the most profound moments in tarantula keeping for me was the first time I held one and had no fear of it. It was huge. It, it needed for me, and people can go ahead and jump on me, whatever. For me, that was huge because the tarantula was on me and I felt no fear whatsoever. I, I was totally like... It was an amazing experience for me. So that was important for me. So that's why when people ask, why aren't you a little more militant with telling people not to handle? I My message is I don't feel like we need to handle all the time. I don't handle now. Like I've got that one H lenses that comes out sometimes, but that's it. I practice good practices all the time. I don't, you know, I'm working with old worlds, new worlds. I don't handle a lot and I don't encourage it. However, I also don't get on people that do. I, I just don't think it's as black and white as we want to believe. So for the Billie Eilish one, in one way, it's positive publicity. It's people are going to see this. People are going to see her holding the spider. They're going to see there's a blue spider. It's a GBB for crying out loud. I'm still shocked about that. And they're going to go, wow. Billie Eilish likes these. I, I could look into them. So it's going to bring people into the hobby. Now, for the flip side of that, we're going to get a lot of, you know, probably some some fanboys and girls that are going to be like, oh, I got to be like Billie and get a tarantula. And they're going to go out and just buy something to not know anything about. It. They're going to go out and go, well, she's got this blue one here that's awesome and she can handle it. How about this orange one? What is this called? An OBT. I'm going to get that one and handle it. You can see where that goes. And I do understand that side of it because that's a very big concern I have watching that video is like, what is... 
what is the age group of people that normally listen to Billy's music? There, I'm guessing a lot of them are in the teen range. A lot of them are probably still living at home. A lot of them probably don't have a lot of experience with animals. And a lot of them, coming from a guy who works with a lot of teenage students, probably aren't very good at going online and finding good information. So this is going to be a lot of people that rush out, buy these animals, and don't know anything about them, and only do so because Billy did it and it looks cool. So I can see both sides of this one. I'm up in the air about which way I'm leaning toward, honestly. Uh, part of me was happy to see somebody show them in a nice light. I have to admit that. And then part of me was cringing when she put it on his arm and walked away. Because again, that goes into the fear mongering. Look it, we have a guy here that's scared of spiders. Here, I'm going to put my spider on your hand and I'm going to walk out of the room and leave you there, which is a terrible thing to do to somebody. I have a funny feeling it was played up for the camera. I have a funny feeling that James isn't particularly scared of them because I don't know many real true arachnophobes that would be able to sit there calmly and kind of humorously call out for help while one of them was on him. It just seemed like it was something that was kind of played up for the laughs, but it still could have shot up his arm. It could have been on his back. It could have dropped on the floor, ruptured his abdomen. A lot of things could have gone wrong. So, so if I had it my way, Billy would have taken out the tarantula. If she held it, she would have held it right directly over her bed, explained that they can fall, maybe explained that not all tarantulas be that will tolerate handling and would not have put it on them. And then she would have put the spider away. Now, granted, that's me. That obviously wouldn't have made such a comical segment for that show. And it's probably unrealistic, but that would have made it such a more powerful and important interaction for something that's going to air on a TV show and features a very popular pop star right now. That would have been amazing. That would have made it an amazing event. Like, look at this. We have somebody, you know, it's famous talking about our hobby and doing it in a responsible manner. Unfortunately, she is a teenage girl. She probably, I, I have no doubt she loves the animal. She, if you watch her handle, it, it made me cringe almost because like, man, she has no fear of it whatsoever. But unfortunately, the message she gives, let's put it this way. If Billie Eilish had been some teenage YouTuber that was doing tarantula videos and had gone out and done that on a YouTube video, she would have been skewered by the community. So then there's that end of it. So I think as far as, you know, the question of them in media, we have a long way to go before they're portrayed in a favorable manner. And I also think we have a long way to go before we would ever be able to convince people into entertainment to start showing them in a more favorable light. Because again, the general, we always have to think, I think we're in our own little microcosm. And that's a great thing about, I think, Facebook and the internet is people like us that love these animals that are, you know, usually not considered to be cute, cuddly, typical pets can get together and kind of encourage each other. And we can find a group of people that share that interest. But we, I think, forget sometimes that we represent a very small part of the population. I think a lot of us are trying to reach out and draw more people into the hobby, and we're doing a pretty good job of it. But we're a long ways off from somebody making a Hollywood movie that stars a, you know, a tarantula that's actually not scary to people. I, I would love to see like a Disney movie with one of the little animal characters be a tarantula. That would be fantastic. That would do so much. There's that YouTube channel that has the little jumping spider. I can't think of the name right now, but it has done so much to kind of make them cute. So people, next thing you know it, people are getting into jumping spiders and they go, hey, these tarantulas aren't that bad. We need more of that. But unfortunately right now, as far as television and entertainment goes, movies, whatever, they're going to continue to be used as jokes. They're going to be continued to be used as cheap thrills. I don't see that changing anytime soon. Although, you know, who knows? The hobby's growing. There are a lot of people from a lot of different countries that 
are into it now that love these animals and it it probably won't take too long before one of those people happens to become famous you know billy again i i, I don't want to totally tear down what she did because i do think if you watch it and i think what's going to happen is people are going to watch it and there's going to be some like oh my god that's ridiculous that's irresponsible but you can't take away the fact she obviously has no fear of the animal loves the animals and that's a powerful image as well it's kind of it's what what is it making lemonade out of lemons or the lemon of the situation is what she does is not what we would encourage people to do in the hobby it's not the message we'd like to send however when you see a young lady handling a tarantula like there's nothing to fear, that is a powerful message, and we have to kind of concede that. So so to summarize it for you, Joe, and again, this is an awesome question, one we might revisit because I, I think let's turn it into something a little different. And again, I like to reach out for stuff. If you guys have any good examples of people showing spiders off in good ways, not the like videos where they're purposely trying to get bit by them or not being used as like props in a horror movie or not being thrown around for a laugh, please let me know because we could definitely review some of that. It would be interesting. But Joe, unfortunately, I feel like at this point, and, and again, my favorite genre of movies is is more responsible than anything. They're used, again, as props as to scare people for cheap thrills. And when they are portrayed by people like Billy, who obviously care about their animal, they're portrayed in a way that I think the majority of us in the hobby would not be okay with. We have a long ways to go. It's it's not a good situation. I think as far as public opinion goes, the majority of the stuff out there featuring arachnids does nothing but bolster that public opinion, that they're scary, that they're to be feared, that they're possibly dangerous. And unfortunately, that perpetuates the myths that we're all working so hard to dispel. That would that would be my take on that. But again, if people have, you know, you, hopefully this will start. I, I I love the discussions that start on the Facebook page. And no, I am follow. I do follow them all. I'm still trying to catch up on some comments, but I have been following them all, and I get a lot of information for that because I'm hoping some people come with some stuff. Maybe there's things out there that I haven't seen before. I'd love to see something with a movie star or a pop star or somebody working with tarantulas that's explaining them correctly. It's kind of like what you see now with. You know, pit bulls, there's a lot of stars out there that have gotten behind them. And that was a huge, huge deal for a lot of us who've supported bully breeds for years because suddenly a movie star says something's okay, good or bad. It can be, it can go the other way as well. But people start listening. They start paying attention. They're going out. There's a lot of people out there that are now bully breed advocates that go out and they have the correct information. They know how to answer these questions. I was just watching something with Patrick Stewart, John Bernthal, another one goes out there, loves them. So what we need, obviously it's a slightly different situation, but kind of in the same vein is somebody like that to start picking up and going, listen, they're not that bad and start explaining stuff about them. That would be great. I don't think we have anybody like that out there right now. But hopefully somewhere down the line, we start getting somebody that, you know, presents them in a more positive manner. Again, Billie Eilish, step in the right direction, I would say. But we, we need a little bit better than dropping a spider on somebody that's supposedly scared of them and then walking away. That kind of undermined the good that she did. So that would be it for that topic. Again, I think it's a really cool one. I do want to finish this article. So if anybody wants to hit me up with some movies with uh, horror movies with tarantulas in it, it just became very difficult because I think as I was writing the article and I enjoy writing this stuff and I haven't done anything like this before where I've combined like my love of tarantulas with my love of horror and was really excited to approach the two of them and be like, all right, we got, we're combining two of my favorite things, horror movies and tarantulas. But then when I started looking at it, it's like, how do I convince people that this is wrong? Because at the end of the day, it works. How do you argue? I'm, I'm sitting here coming up with my arguments like they shouldn't be portrayed like this. But when you're arachnophobic and you're watching a horror movie and they stick a big shot of a tarantula in there, you're going to be frightened. It's going to work. It's the cheapest you know, scare in the world. So hopefully I can get back that and finish it up. I have the other article coming up 
hopefully in the next issue. And while we're here, I normally don't pimp anything else I do, but I think for those of you that are horror fans and enjoy horror fiction, the newest issue is out. I'll put a link down there. Uh, I help select some of the fiction for it. I will tell you that this is really quality stuff because the editor, Ken Wood, has just the highest of expectations for quality literature. This isn't like your Tales from the Crypt twist ending stuff. This is quality stuff, very literary. And I will tell you the people that were selecting the fiction, we had some incredible arguments behind the scenes about the types of stories we wanted to see. It was great because it was like everybody was looking for the cream of the crop. So very proud of the outcome. I got the issue in the mail the other day. And if you like horror fiction, intelligent horror fiction, I want to throw that out there because sometimes I recommend stuff and I tend to, like, I read everything. I love, you know, the Tales from the Crypt, kind of bubblegummy, pulpy type stuff with just the little twist endings. I love that kind of stuff. But I also love the real thoughtful stuff that you're kind of like, you finish the story and you're like, what? So there's a little bit of each, you know, a, a, a lot of different subgenres represented, but very, very literate stuff. But I would definitely encourage you to check it out. And if you do, let me know what you think because very proud of it. It was it was an awesome experience that we went through hundreds of submissions. They went through a lot more than me because I got bogged down with Tom's Big Spider stuff. So I think I ended up doing like 150 or something read through. And out of like, I want to say 600, 700, it might've been closer to a thousand submissions. They chose a handful of stories for this. So it's the cream of the crop. Good stuff. I will be promoting a little bit on my YouTube channel as well, only because again, I know talking to a lot of you folks, there's horror people out there and I'm, this is something I'm interested in as well and very proud of the end product of it. So that's my little thing. I never do that, but what the heck? I've had some people ask me before what stuff I'd had illustrations in, and my illustrations are usually so nasty that I never told anybody. So, uh, moving on. Uh, that'll about do it for this one. I may try to squeak in an extra episode because I think I'm going to go over my original time slot with this, which means I'll have another you know 45 minutes to play with. So maybe we'll work in an extra episode. And I do believe, if I'm not mistaken, this is the first episode of the season three, if I'm not wrong. So a neat way to start it off. And again, I want to thank everybody who, A, listens to these, and for you folks that wander over to YouTube to say hi. I, I do appreciate that because I know a lot of folks basically pop over to the YouTube page only to ask a question or make a comment about the podcast, which I think is totally cool. And I've been trying to answer those immediately because I do appreciate the fact that that's not normally where you guys come to get your Tom Moran content. So it's cool to see you guys over there. It's kind of like when you go to a party and two different groups of friends show up. It's that kind of feeling like, oh, it's the podcast people. Oh, it's the YouTube people. So that's really cool. So anyway, that'll do it for this one. As always, you can find me at Tom's Big Spiders on YouTube. You can find me on Tom's Big Spiders, the website, and you can find me on Instagram. The Instagram has been kind of blowing up a bit. That's been kind of cool. Uh, although I don't, again, just know that your best bet for getting me to answer a question is to pick an old video or pick a video on YouTube. If, if you don't care, people see it. Because I don't know how many people actually really go pour through those comments. Just pick a video and, and post a question. I get to those. It's much easier for me to get to those quick, more quickly. The Instagram's kind of the last thing I hit right now. Because Instagram for me is kind of just fun. I throw pictures up and, you know, people heart them and I go, yay. Um, but it's kind of more just me hanging out and having a good time. So I, I don't get to a lot of the questions over there. Plus, I have a hard time negotiating through that app trying to figure out where the heck the things are. So that'll do it. I will catch you guys all next time.